Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch with you and joining us from a remote location this week. It is Justin Kinney. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. Sorry I couldn't be in the studio. It's my one night home this week. And, uh, you know, as all happily married men are, definitely terrified of their wives. So uh, I elected to uh, record from home this week. And is that why, like, you went to hide in a room as well in your house? I did. So <laughs> actually, it was great timing because we had just eaten, had some tacos, and I got out out of having to clean up. So my wife wow. and son have to do all that. So this worked out. Wow! Look at you, just a yeah. major major help around the house. Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I cooked, so you know. Hey, hey, okay, that's that counts. Then then yeah, you're clear. Yeah, there you go. You're clear. All right. Well, uh, we're we're back a day early this week. Uh, again, Justin, a very busy man this week. He's got uh, Purdue Fort Wayne men's basketball coverage Thursday night, so that's why we're recording a day early. But with that said, all things IndyCar, and we finally got some announcements. Unfortunately, I think uh, for some of those, not what we were anticipating. We have the broadcast times announcement for NBC and IndyCar unveiled earlier this week. Also, the 2022 Indy Lights schedule and uh, testing taking place for IndyCar and Indy Lights drivers uh, this week as well. We'll dive into the schedule broadcast time announcement for IndyCar. Again, we already knew what races would be on what network across NBC, USA, and Peacock. That that was revealed a while ago. But this, we right. finally get the answer on the start times. Now, looking through it, the first half of the schedule, everything makes sense. St. Pete, again, these are the broadcast times, the green flag times, what, you'd guess probably 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes from the broadcast time, roughly? Yeah, majority. I'm sure there's going to be a couple that are, you know, we're joining coverage right on the parade laps or, you know, very soon before those. But, yeah, I anticipate a, a decent-sized uh, pre-race for the majority of those NBC races. I, I love those. We're joining on the parade lap at you know, one <laughs> minute after favorite. the top of the hour. <laughs> but I don't Absolutely. know if we'll have a whole lot of those. But Okay, first half of the schedule makes a lot of sense. You have St. Pete, Noon Eastern, Texas, 1230 Eastern, but again, that's March 20th, so I mean, the the heat's not going to be the factor like you think of when it was held uh, last year in early May or in the past in uh, early June. Long Beach, 3 Eastern, again, that's noon Pacific, great time. Barber, 1230 Eastern. Uh, the first IMS road course race, three Eastern, and then the Indy 500, 11 a.m. Eastern. Now, this one, I would expect the green flag to be somewhere in that 1215 to 1225 range like NBC has done in years past. Obviously, the full hour pre-race show. Okay, so, so far, so good. All these races on NBC, by the way. Great start yeah. to the season. No complaints, right. right? Well, we'll just wait. I know you got It's coming. It is coming. Then, then we go <laughs> to uh, Belle Isle. 3 Eastern on USA. It's fine. No issues. Road America, 1230 Eastern NBC. Works for me. Mid-Ohio, noon Eastern on NBC. That's July 3rd. So good start time. Toronto, 3 Eastern on Peacock. If that race does indeed happen, which I think we both have our doubts on Toronto, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's, let, let's look at it, you know, with, uh, with the, the coronavirus now soaring once again, and the fact that this one race is on Peacock uh, is telling. I think the, the IndyCar series looked at it and said, okay, what's the least likely of our races, A, to be on the 2022 schedule, but B, going forward? And I think it's pretty obvious why Streets of Toronto grew the short straw, so to speak. Now, for our Canadian fans, unfortunately, they cannot access Peacock, but I know they have an updated streaming platform and things are supposed to be better. Uh, we hear that every year though for our Canadian fans, yeah. unfortunately, and it doesn't seem to be better. Okay. So Toronto, they, they throw on Peacock because, well, I think that's the race that we have the most doubts about if it actually goes through. And even that's in July, July 17th, the scheduled date. Okay. Here's where we get to the issues where I feel like, okay, getting all these races on NBC is great, but why are these not on USA? There, there must be a NASCAR conflict of, of some sort um, because Iowa is set for the afternoon 
It's a Saturday, Sunday doubleheader, 4 Eastern, so that's 3 o'clock Central Time, July 23rd in Iowa. And then on Sunday, 3 Eastern, so 2 o'clock Central, uh, for the Sunday race on July 24th. I, there has to be a reason why this this doubleheader weekend is on NBC and not on USA, and also with that, they couldn't run. In fact, so Cup has a race on USA Sunday, July 24th at 3 Eastern. So same time for the Sunday. I'm not sure about the, the weekend schedule for Pocono that weekend, but it's just you're not going to get a network primetime race. Now they did, what was that, 2013 at Texas on ABC, and then they did 2020 to start the season on NBC at Texas. Special circumstance, obviously, for that one. But this event, it's great that it's back, but I already feel like it's set up to fail. Well, you got to look at it. What what concessions were made in order to have this many races on NBC? And it's pretty obvious that, hey, we're going to have to make some tough decisions in order to fit some of these races in. And it feels like Iowa is that. I could also see them, Caleb, taking the uh, the approach that, okay, if we have, let's say, campers or people coming from a decent way away for the weekend, you know, let's say they come in Friday, they're camping, we have the, the race on Saturday, we then have the race on Sunday, and you're not getting out of there reasonably late. And then also maybe it's a concession to the teams that maybe the team said, hey, you're not really going to make us run at night and then come back and run in the early afternoon, are you, in case, you know, there's attrition and there are cars that need to be rebuilt or repaired. That's not a lot of time. So I think there are reasons why they went with this schedule. I hope they're reasonable reasons, not something dumb. But um, I I think in the end, look, IndyCar is going after eyes on product on television, and it's sacrificing potentially bigger crowds at certain races to try and get that. And I think, you know, long-term, you're looking, okay, what helps the growth of this series? It's kind of the chicken or the egg. You know, do you need more people watching or more people in the stands? I feel like right now IndyCar needs more people watching. And, you know, maybe Iowa's able to come back in 2023 because the rating is good or the ratings are, are good all season, and there are more sponsors interested in jumping on to support some of these races and teams. So I think that's the, the thinking at IndyCar, and it's it's by no means uh, a, a without risk for sure, but there has to be some sense uh, behind the scenes in some of these times and some of these broadcast partners. Oh, and this is a race that, if not for High V, I mean, it wouldn't exist on the schedule. So the fact that High V came on board and is is a part of it means that they'll at least be able to promote it. The the problem is. You know, the, the time slot's terrible. Now, granted, the time slot for Nashville last year was also terrible, but people showed up because it was an event in a destination city. So, I, Yeah, and, you know, you look at the sponsor. Maybe Hy-Vee came in and said, okay, we're going to sponsor this race, but we want the maximum amount of people watching. We want a good return on investment. And let's be honest, you're not getting that at Iowa Raceway right now, or at least recently with IndyCar races. So if Hy-Vee came and said, look, we want these on NBC races at the best possible times. Unfortunately, that doesn't mean prime time uh, on whatever network. So uh, that's also maybe something to consider on, on why those races are scheduled where they're at. Well, and another thing, you know, I realize it's not just the NASCAR Cup Series, but also Xfinity Series as far as scheduling conflicts. Uh, probably an Xfinity race running at the same time on USA Network. So. It makes it hard to schedule around everything. So with Iowa, I, I guess I have my fingers crossed they can draw a crowd because of the time slots are not ideal. And that's, yeah. to me, a big problem. Well, you know, it could be worse. It could be uh, 4 o'clock and 3 o'clock on USA. So, you know, two network races, you know, hopefully they're exciting. Uh, hopefully the crowd's decent. Um, you can argue that it would be better with, with a Saturday night race, but... You know, even recently when, 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 you know, NASCAR or IndyCar started, you know, the, the crowd started dwindling even at night. So uh, maybe this is just a, we're going to chase the uh, the broadcast money at this point instead of the gate money. And you know, the teams are not thrilled about having a doubleheader weekend on an oval either. 
Yeah, absolutely, and that's and then maybe that's an accommodation that we that you know I mentioned earlier is you know these teams if you're going to make us run run twice in an oval you're going to need us to give us a little more time between races so you know if they came out and said hey we're going to race seven local and then two o'clock local you know maybe some of the teams were like oh you know you got to give us some time because we could really tear up some race cars at Iowa. Then moving on, you have um, the IMS Road Course two. Uh, that one at noon Eastern on NBC. And then in August, Nashville, 3 Eastern. The start time on NBC for August 7th. That is earlier last year, that race. I think the green flag was roughly like 445. And that was on NBCSN, I believe, right? And it got, yeah, yeah it was on NBCSN, yeah. rest in peace. That got a better <laughs> rating than Cup did in Nashville on NBC which is Correct. wild. <laughs> uh, but yeah. so that race, uh, again, three Eastern, so that's two o'clock central time. It's going to be hot, but it's going to be hot regardless in August. And I, I mean, it'd be amazing if they could pull off a, a night race, but that is not in the cards early on in, in the deal for Nashville. Uh, then you have Gateway, six Eastern, so that's five central time on USA. So we don't have a true night race. By the time this one ends, it's probably kind of twilight. Um, it, I guess it's a disappointment to not have a, a night race and we thought we'd get one or, or maybe even two with one of the Iowa races, but no night races, which is a disappointment. Uh, Gateway is going to be the closest we have to that. But again, I, I guess, like you said, the concessions you make, you get more races on network TV. This is what happens. And I think, you know, when we look ahead, if, if it's able, if you're, IndyCar and you're able to land, you know, considerably more sponsorship or maybe a big partner or two, or, Oh, Hey, maybe a third OEM jumps on board because of the increased numbers, uh, in, in viewers, then, you know, that's, that's the long play. So, um, I'm not going to, to doubt Roger Penske's business acumen at this point. I, I, I believe there's a plan, whether it's the right plan or not, I'm not entirely sure, but, Roger Penske has a tendency to get things right more often than he does get them wrong. Well, like you said, if they get higher TV ratings come 2023, when we know we're going to have, you know, the the hybrid uh, technology added in with the engines, teams can sell sponsorships for more money due to higher TV ratings. And then you would think any car would say, Hey, we have more negotiating power. Can we move one of these to be a night race? Yeah, and I think that's what increased uh, viewership gets you. So it's going to get uh, you know IndyCar more benefited out at the uh, at the uh, negotiating tables, whether it's with the networks, whether it's with sponsors, whether it's with potential uh, you know engine suppliers. Uh, you know, we've been down that road for a long time where we say, okay, we need to accommodate the fans at the track and blah blah blah. But that's not really moving the needle substantially. And yeah, growth is growth. We we say it, both of us say it, Caleb, but more growth would be better for the series overall. And I think if you can make uh, some big, some headway on television and you're naturally, the ratings are going to be up because you have so many more on network. So that's yeah. what they're going to spin. And we're going to hear it all season long. Um, but I, I think they're going to try to use that momentum then to really bring some more big-time supporters and sponsors into the sport. So finishing off the uh, TV broadcast schedule, September 4th, Labor Day week in Portland, 3 Eastern, again, noon Pacific, makes sense. And then Laguna Seca, 3 Eastern, uh, noon Pacific, September 11th. Both those races on NBC to close out the year. So you start with six straight on NBC, and then you finish with, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six of the final seven on NBC as well. Strong as far as network, and like you said, they're going to tout how this race was 100% better than last year, and it's like, well, it moved on network as opposed to cable, so that's why. When you look at the schedule, I know we've had the dates for a while, but when you're able to look at this complete package, you know, it really starts, you know, coming into focus. You know, we've been making so much, Gail, about the early start to the season, February 27th, but the series only has three races between February 27th and April 30th. Is that a problem? You know, normally I would say yes, but think about what's going on during some of that time frame. You have Easter, so there's a weekend you're not going to race. You have the NCAA tournament 
taking place across multiple weekends, including March 20th. Um, but it's done by April 10th, which is Long Beach. So, I mean, you're, you know, you're not going to get viewers during that time frame because normally St. Pete is the same weekend as either the, you know, conference championship games or the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. So you're kind of out of sight for the casual sports fan. They're going to be watching NCAA basketball here in the U.S. over an IndyCar race. True. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, I can guarantee you IndyCar doesn't like that big gap, but, you know, what are they supposed to do? They've they've tried every which way to try to add, you know, some races there. Maybe we'll see, you know, a Mexico City race or something in the future there, but it's not ideal. But, you know, when I look at that gap and then I look at the stretch later in the season when you're looking at Toronto, Iowa, Iowa, Indy Road Course 2, and Nashville on consecutive weekends, I mean, that's you're looking at five races over the stretch of, you know, 24 days. I mean, that's, that's brutal. That's a and grind for the teams. Absolute grind. And, you know, after that, you have three races to go for the season. So I really think that stretch is the most important stretch of the season um, in terms of championship, you know. Obviously, the most important is the Indianapolis 500. But after that, it's going to be which driver is really able to stockpile the points over those five races. Overall, I mean, you again, we don't we don't have the green flag times uh, for this Correct. schedule yet. But again, estimate half hour or so, with the exception of the Indy 500, which will be a little more than an hour uh, from the the broadcast start time. But overall, I mean, to me. Outside of Iowa, which I'm very concerned about, Gateway, it's more of a disappointment. I mean, I think that race will be fine. You wonder how much the NASCAR crowd will take away from the IndyCar audience in market with them getting a, a cup race in St. Louis, how that will or impact. Or put the PBJ down. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that too. Hopefully not. Um, yeah. But overall, I mean, the, anything you're super concerned about, you mentioned the gap early in the season. You know, normally I'd be concerned about that, but with NCAA basketball and tournament going on kind of during part of that gap, I guess to me, you're already out of sight anyway for the casual sports fan. So it doesn't really matter. Well, you know, I, and looking at it there, you know, there's a couple of statements. I, I like the fact that there's continuity and that's something I don't think we can ever take for granted because it's how soon we forget to how it used to be. You know what I mean? So the fact that we're looking at this schedule and nitpicking, oh, it's a little bit stretchy here or the times, whatever. We're not having huge gaps once we really get going in May. You know, there's not three or four tracks that are gone or two and three, and then we're looking at another two or three on the schedule this year that they say, well, they could be gone. Although maybe you could say two with Toronto and, and Iowa. But then I'm also thinking as a team, and I already mentioned that stretch between Toronto and Nashville. But look at the stretch between Indianapolis and Road America. So you're going Barber, and then I would imagine that next week, do they usually have a test that week? Yeah, they, the they normally would have a test like later in that week, uh, and then take, you know, there's a, enough, of, there's a two-week gap basically between Barber and the IMS Road Course Race 1, but normally there'd be a test on the Oval at IMS in between there. Right. Could they, so could they hold that in say, April? Yes. Well, you know, they, they did that like March, April, something like that. But let's say, let's for now, let's say they're not doing a test at this point. And when you go Indianapolis road course, then you go qualifying weekend, then you go Indianapolis 500, then you go Belle Isle, and then you go Road America on consecutive weekends. And if you add an Indy test between Barber and the uh, the GP, that's then you add Barber, uh, you know, two more weekends. So that's going to be an absolute grind on those teams. And I know it was just for one year last year, but I kind of got used to that one-week break after Indy because I think as a fan, you were able to decompress a little bit. As teams, they most definitely were allowed to, to decompress a little bit. And, and everybody kind of got recharged and, okay, I'm going to take you know 14 days, whatever. Now we can really start getting into the grind of the championship race and all that. Not this year. We're going right from the 500 
right to Belle Isle. Yeah, it's only one race, but it's still a race weekend, and then followed up with a trip to Road America the very next weekend. Well, at least at Belle Isle, we're talking a standalone race as opposed to a doubleheader weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, we still haven't really gotten a straight answer on why that's happened, why now, and if it's a permanent thing. So, um, you know, maybe maybe that's hopefully will get addressed at some point. If it has, maybe we missed it. But like, I still don't know why now and whether that's going to come back or not. But, um, you know, with, with with the transition to downtown, I, I see that as just a standalone. I, I don't I, I think they want to just have one big race like Nashville does. Yeah, I don't see the doubleheader portion coming back, especially in, in 2023, because like you said, moving to downtown Detroit, I think they'll be able to attract a lot more fans. Now, is the layout going to be better to be determined? And that's one of those things that, look, I will sacrifice raciness for a big event. Like, I, I don't want a procession. I don't, I don't want Monaco. But at the same time, I'll give up a little bit in terms of of, of competition and, and the action on track. If it looks good on TV, it's a tremendous success for the, for the promoters in the series. And uh, some more schedule time notes, Trackside Online, if you subscribe. They also have the likely first IndyCar practice session, uh, all times local, listed in their uh, previous email update, so be sure to check that out. Uh, I'll do one teaser, St. Pete, Friday at 3.50 is the uh, first practice time. So later in the afternoon on Friday with St. Pete. Let's go. Uh, and then uh, with you know the TV schedule, it's not just uh, the, the schedule set for uh, the states. We also got word last week talking about for Latin America and... You know, this was a kind of an ongoing thing that we couldn't get a clear answer on late last season. Remember with Pato Award and how he paid money to have races streamed down the stretch uh, in Mexico. And it was kind of confusing because it came out that IndyCar reached some deal. And it's like, well, so did Pato pay his money for nothing? <laughs> we kind of had that right. whole deal. Well, so they've confirmed that IndyCar has a new deal. And hey, guess what, race fans? ESPN is back covering IndyCar. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> but but not Marty Roth in the booth. <laughs> not uh, <laughs> not in the U.S. No, this is uh, with ESPN Brazil, a three-year deal, uh, according to Racer.com's Marshall Pruitt, um, that will see uh, the Disney Group broadcast the series in all of Latin America and Brazil. So ESPN and Star Plus uh, have the broadcasting rights starting in 2022. Uh, all races broadcast live on pay TV channels and on the streaming platform. So as practice sessions and qualifying for the entire Brazilian market. Uh, and that also includes uh, a deal for Mexico. And also at the end of the article, uh, a senior IndyCar official tells the racer more insights on the Latin American coverage plans. The series international TV deals for 2022 will be revealed as we move closer to the February 25th through 27th season debut in St. Petersburg. Now, remember in the past, until yeah. IndyCar went in-house with these international TV deals, that was all done by ESPN International, correct? Right. And I think it was just, you know, they were picking up the feed, weren't they? Or or what? I think so. So it's just yeah, their international so platform. It's a lot better. You actually have, they're paying IndyCar for these rights, I would imagine. Yes. So that's something. And for anybody that's li- listening, you know, overseas or Latin America or in Canada, like, Give us your thoughts. Maybe not now, but once the season starts, we don't know in terms of if, if this is a better deal for the individual countries than last year or years past. So let us know if this is a step in the right direction in your country. And, and you know, especially Brazil, Mexico. I mean, these are markets where they should have a decent TV deal, right? I mean, you have you have stars. You have Pato Ward. You have Elio Castroneves. You have Tony Canon. I mean... It's not the level of deal that they had in Brazil, say, a decade ago, I think, when they were on band TV, and granted, they had a race in Sao Paulo a couple of those years, but this seems like a step up from where they were before. Yeah, you know, you're looking at Brazil that's an IndyCar hotbed, and then Mexico that, you know, IndyCar wants it to be a hotbed for the sport. So uh, more eyes on product, the better, especially if there is a, a big effort to go back to Mexico 
but, you know, that could be curtailed a little bit. You don't really want to sign a deal, or if you're, if you're Mexico, sign a deal for 2023 if your hometown hero, Pato Award, isn't going to be around. Great point. We'll, we'll see. Fingers crossed he stays, but I think we all expect him to leave here in the next two or three seasons. Yeah, I mean, at most two or three. I mean, you're up Daniel Ricardo. You better perform. And then this note from IndyCar Deep Throat, our uh, insider, uh, expect Homestead to be finalized for the 2023 schedule. Uh, and I mentioned, you know, would that be an option for spring training? But the understanding is no spring training again this year for IndyCar. Well, I guess it'd be more of a winter training, if you will. Um, but you would think if they're going to race at Homestead, they'd do an open test before the season starts or, you know, in a gap between St. Pete and, and Homestead, which would, I would assume, be the second race on the schedule. Yeah, you would think, and, and you know that's that's another you know warm weather locale that you can race early on in the year. So I think that helps. You know, if Texas sticks around, maybe then you can be able to push that back to its normal spot. So uh, that would be good. Hopefully, you can draw at Homestead. We've been there before. We've been there. You know, we've got given this a couple tries here now. But um, you know, I, I think that's good news um, if they can add it. Most definitely, but. I don't know if IndyCar keeps going forward with this so little test time. I mean, what do they have, six six days in all of 2022? I think so. Um, and Yeah. And so, you know, Marshall Pruitt made a great point in the racer mailbag today. Is like, look, you know, they, they cut back on these test days to try to curtail costs, right? But the wealthier teams are still going to, uh, you know, invest in things that give them an advantage, whether it's a shaker rig or whether it's more – sophisticated technology uh, on a computer or, or simulations or whatever, they're still going to find those advantages and spend money doing it. So, you know, Marshall Pruitt made a point that, you know, he talked to one, uh, you know, uh, tracker uh, team official and said, you know, in the end, we're probably spending more doing this than we would be if we, if we were able to test more. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's full circle with that, right? <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it, it just breaks it down that, look, no matter what you do, there's going to be tears in any form of motorsport on the haves and the have-nots or the mediocres, right? No matter what you do, it, it's, it's similar to, to you know, any, it, it's finding an advantage anywhere you possibly can. And, you know, you say they can't do this, they're going to go do this. But you say you can't do that, then they're going to go find something else. It's just, it's, it's ever evolving. And, you know, I'd much rather see these cars and teams able to be on track more, you know, push those test days back up to around 10 or so, uh, maybe even 12, to really allow all of these teams get, to get plenty of track time. And keeping it with IndyCar and test time, Christian Lungard, his first, uh, test of 2022. He was at Sebring on Monday. Also, Simon Pajon and Elio Castroneves of Meyer Shank Racing at Sebring as well. Test cut short due to uh, rain, I believe. So, track time, again, we don't take anything away from testing times, but nothing catastrophic seemed to happen in this, so we consider that box checked. Meanwhile, for Indy Lights, they announced... Their schedule for 2022 and some a great breakdown of everything that happened by Jerome Dimondal uh, on Twitter. 14 races, 11 different tracks, uh, doubleheaders at IMS, Detroit, and Laguna. First lights race at Nashville, which that'll be exciting. Extra oval race yeah. at Iowa. No Toronto, and again, no Freedom 100. I don't think the fact that there's no Freedom 100 is a surprise, but here we are. Also, all uh, any lights races can be streamed in the U.S. on Peacock. Outside the U.S., uh, he says negotiations about international broadcasting deals still ongoing. So watch this space. I really like the Indy Lights schedule. I, I think synergy is important for your junior formulas, especially your AAA junior formula. Is these drivers need to be experiencing every little bit of IndyCar race weekends and everything that that entails. Same with the teams. And, you know, it, it was ridiculous. I, I don't understand why Indy Lights was running 20, 20 races. It was just it was way too much when, you're, when you're, 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 your major leagues are running less than that. So I think this schedule makes a lot of sense. And I think, too, going to the races that IndyCar races at is, I think, it helps 
those teams that may invest in both saying, oh, okay, so we don't have to go all the way you know, to New Jersey for races. We can just take an extra hauler or so with a couple Indy Lights cars to the same place we're going this weekend. So I think that's going to help. Maybe it's not going to have a deluge of teams from, from IndyCar, but it may be the push that Indy Lights needs to maybe get one or two more of these IndyCar teams to invest in Indy Lights. Along with the uh, rumored incentive for IndyCar teams to run Indy Lights as well, that is supposed to be coming down the pipeline. Yeah, absolutely. You get one rocket engine to use per season if you participate <laughs> in Indy Lights. And then this also from Jaron Demondahl, uh Disappointing news. We don't know the team. I think we can speculate, but he says, I hate it, but I'm told we're likely losing another Indy Lights team ahead of the 2022 season. Following the disappearance of Carlin, a formal announcement may come already this week. Silver lining, we do get four new teams, and the grade will be bigger versus 2021. I would guess the team is Hunkos. Uh, would you guess that as well? You know, probably, but it's also tough for me to look at and say, man, that's where Ricardo Hunkos really built this team in the junior formulas of the road to Indy. And I would hate to see him exit that, even though we've seen it you know, recently when, when they had financial woes. But... Now with their, you know, new setup with, with Hollinger uh, in IndyCar, you know, obviously the priority is on the big leagues and maybe, unfortunately, um, in order to accommodate those, those goals in the big leagues, they're going to have to sacrifice an Indy Lights team. I mean, we run through the teams. So Able Motorsports, which is joined Andretti Autosport, Exclusive Autosport, Global Racing Group with HMD Motorsports, TJ Speed, which announced James Rowe this week. We also got an announcement with Matthew Brabham back at Andretti, uh, a team he raced for in the road to Indy. Wow, I mean, it's been, what, six, seven years ago now? Uh, but he's oh, back, yeah. had a lot of success in stadium super trucks. Uh, started the 2016 Indy 500, I think with KV Racing, if I'm not mistaken, um, but really not able to get a taste of any car after that. So I like it. I mean, I, I feel like Matthew Brabham is doing something that a lot of other drivers over the last seven, eight years should have done. And that is, look, just because I, I flamed out one time in IndyCar, I can still go back to Indy Lights and start rebuilding that momentum again. And you can guarantee you that's what Matthew Brabham's trying to do. And so he's back. Again, we mentioned James Rowe. Uh, with a seat as well. And I think there was another team-related announcement uh, as far as 2022 for the... Uh, oh, okay. Linus Lundquist, he returned with HMD Motorsports for the lights tests uh, at Sebring, which they had earlier this week. Homestead coming later. Uh, Jaron Demondahl also says, so HMD with five cars, Andretti 4, TJ Speed with 2, Abel with 1, Hunkos 4, Cindy, Sarah, an exclusive absent in Florida. Again, we know HMD is expected to run 5, Andretti 4, TJ Speed's confirmed 2, Abel's 1, so that gets us to what? That is 12. 12. So yes. after that, Hunkos, we don't know. Force Cindy, we expect 1. Sarah, we expect 1. Exclusive would be 2. So, I mean... It you a 16 minus Hunkos. Yeah. Which, Which I think is a still solid, solid number. I think. Yeah, I think the closer you can get to twenty, the better. I so, mean, if you're putting twenty cars on a track on, at most Indy Lights events, I feel like you're doing pretty good. So I mean, those the the teams were kind of waiting on an answer would be Sarah, which was just Antonio Saravale last year, and then Hunkos and then exclusive autosport, which we expect to move up. So I don't think they're the question mark. I think it's Hukos or Sarah as the teams in question here. Yeah, and, and I would think in terms of on shaky ground, I feel like you know owning your own team, that's a little bit more financially unstable than I would say Hukos, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it shakes out. And then on the IndyCar side, not this. This was a huge surprise, but Juan Pablo Montoya confirmed for Aero McLaren SP with sponsor Mission Foods for the uh, GMR Grand Prix, and also 
an entry for the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500. Good to see JPM back. I don't think this is a massive surprise. However, what is surprising, by them doing this, you kind of wonder how many other races they're going to run with that third car in 2022. I could see that number six car being on the track reasonably consistently for the second half of the year after Indianapolis. I yeah. don't think we see it before I agree. the month of May, but I think we could see it a lot after. All right, so with that, that's kind of the, the major announcements we've had this week. We'd love for your opinion and you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our weekly email list so you never miss an episode. You can interact with us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. And uh, you can find us on your favorite podcasting platform, whether that be Apple Podcasts. If you uh, follow us for free on there, do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating if you could. And write a review if you're really nice. Also, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, or wherever you find your podcasts. And with that, Justin, it is time for the mailbag and plenty to discuss this week. First off, this was a big surprise. But uh, welcome back, Carlin Racing. We're back in good graces. Thank you to Carlin. They tweeted at us after posting our episode last week. Happy New Year. So thank you, Carlin. Uh, we, are, we are back. We are no longer blocked. So, uh, in and fact, you told uh, me to behave. Yes, I did. <laughs> now, did they block us last year? Yeah. I think, okay. or, I think it was like leading up to last, last year, like right before the okay. season. Okay, I couldn't remember it was a year or two years. So they must, you know, at the end of the year, go through their block list and say, okay, this person, you know, deserves a second chance. And whether we deserve a second chance or not is up for debate. I never thought we did anything block or me did anything block worthy <laughs> in the first place. But we're back for Carlin. Hopefully we actually have some IndyCar, um, you know, activities to talk about with them outside of, you know, merging with Hunkos. Yes, I, I think we both feel that way because the more teams, the better. And it's a Chevy team. It's not like they can't get an engine lease. It's more of can they get a driver with the right sponsor package and and come together. Uh, so a couple of comments on the block uh, being uh, rescinded. Poet Shevchenko said the block has been lifted with a gif of uh, a parting of the Red Sea. <laughs> um, also, Jordan uh, underscore Wilman said unblocked. So thank you for your support, both of you. Um, but yeah, good good news there on the uh, IndyCar schedule start times. Pochevchenko says still still doesn't seem real to have all that network and be seen that schedule. Nothing else were to change in 2023. But have Team S replaced by two races in March, Homestead and then Coda. Start the season with Street Oval Road Course as the teams move east to west toward Long Beach. Yeah, I, I mean I think Homestead's a realistic possibility. Coda, I don't think will ever come back. I mean, they added the NASCAR race along with already having the F1 race. I don't think any car is on their radar, which is unfortunate, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, if it was a financial loser for Coda, which it, it probably had to be, look, if they have no interest in IndyCar, it's for a reason. And it's probably because they lost money on that race, even though it was entertaining. Uh, you said, I see a lot of peacocks, so I assume you're going to be streaming via Peacock? Uh, well, I was saying in terms of P the NBC Peacock. Oh, oh, so okay. see a lot of those. Yes, yes, I was going to shorten it, and then, uh, but then I, I, I decided not to. <laughs> um, Probably a wise move. two-syllable word, and I was just going to use the uh, second syllable, but, um, you know, I'm trying to behave on our social media <laughs> account this year so well, far so good well this was on your own personal account so oh, was I mean, it? yeah yeah no, you okay, replied taking more chances <laughs> but uh but yeah no i was talking about the nbc peacock because by gosh we saw a lot of those on the schedule it's still kind of hard to fathom like it doesn't feel real like it feels like we're gonna get preempted constantly like in the past you know like the lacrosse game last year or tennis match i, I mean oh yeah you know what would be you know hilarious like you know five years ago if you would have said, hey, in 2022, all these races are going to be on network, you'd be like, the only way that happens is if Roger Penske is owning the IndyCar series. <laughs> and that would be like the joke. Yes. That's real. So, yep, both things uh, are real. How far we've come. 
Uh, this is from Daniel SEM 2004. Late afternoon at Iowa will be a disaster. Track doesn't race well in the middle of the day in summer. It needs to be a night race. Yep, I agree. I fully agree. Uh, Jim, maybe we'll have like three hour pre races. Oh, <laughs> you know I can't say more than like four, five but minutes. Green flags not till seven thirty. <laughs> If only. Uh, this from Jim Sarah. That's not exactly a Saturday night under the lights in Iowa, but otherwise it looks good to this fan. Yeah, I, I think that's how I feel, but it seems like such a risk with Iowa that I wonder will it work out? Unless IndyCar knows already that it's merely a one-year deal and they're like, screw it, we're just going to maximize the TV deal. The TV number. Yeah, True. We'll see. I mean, I, I think it would be a multi-year deal. I believe it is. But IV is really investing. They want to move to the Indianapolis market as well. I saw that article the other week. So, I mean, this is part of their big plan for expansion. I would think Iowa Speedway is going to tie into that pretty significantly. All right, so I asked how people plan to watch the season. 12% said Peacock only. 12% NBC only. 12% said cable or streaming service. 64% Majority of you said combination and a few comments. Uh, Transocean Trojan, Peacock is actually great. Can't knock it now that it has all the qualifying practice sessions. Plus, it also has the Premier League and shows the replays of matches as well. More than worth it to keep the app all year long. Yeah, I I signed into uh, Peacock, I think, yeah, late December because I watched an episode of Yellowstone and then that was like the free episode. Now I'm hooked, so I'm... Murray oh, I gotta get on Yellowstone. I've heard good things. Yeah. Uh, then Poet Shevchenko says, on TV, wherever it is, when not at the track, Peacock, when at the track, if IndyCar can find a way to log into Peacock from the IndyCar app and watch the stream at the top of timing Ooh. and scoring, that would be a first-class in-person fan experience. Yeah, that is great. However, it's probably like they geo-locate at the track and you're not yeah. able to to watch. At least usually yeah, that's been the case. Likely. This from... Have they... Oh, Have go they ahead. done anything for the Peacock interface? Is it still ugly? Oh, it's still terrible. It, okay. it just the it needs to be cleaned up to make it more user friendly. There's um, that balance with streaming services that you want to put as much as you can in the face of viewers without overloading them. And I feel like Netflix kind of toes that line. But Peacock is way over it. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to use. It's hard to see what you've actually selected. And it's just not, it's not user friendly, I, I guess, is my issue. So if they can clean yeah, that up. Yeah, there's not a lot of shortcuts, you know, it's just, yeah, it's, and you know, all they're going to do is keep adding, you know, content. They just need a better way to, you know, navigate it. Correct. Scuba Steve 85 says, my internet is better than the antenna signal at my house. So Peacock is a far better experience. Jamin T14 said, I voted combination, but it'll be about 80-20 Peacock or Peacock in all caps for emphasis since we're talking about hashtag IndyCar, all caps. That's funny. <laughs> that is good stuff. Uh, let's see. A lot of comments about the survey. Did you take the survey? Survey said, yes, I did. Yes, yes, I did as well. And we're talking about... And my about... comments at the end were about the IndyCar in all caps. <laughs> My comments were about uh, double points, but uh, a lot of comments on the survey and we'll kind of start with some of those because they're just, there's so many interesting things. Um, in captain 185 says one of the last pages in the survey, they asked weekly shows more content, etc. How likely do you even think that uh, they would do some kind of weekly IndyCar show on TV? Also, if they are listening to the podcast, Use free social media in all caps. Did I mention it's free? (laughs) (laughs) Very much is. I I find the chances of a over air weekly IndyCar show to be slim to none. It's not going to be on NBC. No. And without NBCSN around, I find it hard to believe that it would be put on USA. No, I I think I feel like it would be Peacock only if it was a thing. Yeah. And I think that's fine. I mean, I think the yeah, fan base me. will latch on to that. Uh, Poet Shevchenko says, over the last couple of days, the Motorsport Nielsen IndyCar survey it has been a relatively big story. What are your opinions about the questions on it and any thoughts inspired in you? And then goes on to say, do you think there will be any repercussions from that? I don't know about repercussions. I don't see it like that. I think I, 
I thought the, the survey was very thorough. I thought they addressed a lot of things. It was open-ended where you could give your opinion. They wanted to get a feel for, you know, how engaged are the fans as far as how many races are they attending? How many races are they watching? What do they think about certain things? What can improve things? Um, I ranted about getting rid of double points for the Indy 500 at the end in the, in the comments section. And I also mentioned that I did not like double points, um, you know, on one of the questions, you know, they even had mentioned like heat races, you know, if fans are interested. I like that they're asking everything because people can make it very clear what they think on this survey. Yeah, look, and you know, while you and I may hate the concept of heat races or anything like that, you know what, if 77% of the people voting come back to say they would like it, and IndyCar says, okay, we're going to give it a try because we had a positive, you know, you know, response from fans, then I'm not really going to hate on it. If it's, if it's for the majority, I'm not always going to be in the majority. Nobody is. Um, then I'm up for it. I hope it doesn't happen. But you know what? If the majority of people are in it, then I don't mind IndyCar trying new things. It's better than the Boston Consulting Group. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> this is... <laughs> And I could probably cost infinitely less. Yes. Uh, more more comments on the survey. This from Transocean Trojan. Uh, the survey was interesting. Got nervous when they asked about changing the qualifying format. I also mentioned that they should incorporate as many indie lights events as they can to bring up more value to race weekends, especially ovals. Curious to hear your thoughts. Hey, they on listen the to them. Yeah. They they've already done they that. Look at the schedule for indie lights. <laughs> I mean, they're they're in Nashville for the first time. They're at Iowa, right? They're at Gateway. So I mean, they're 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 with IndyCar every race for them every race weekend. They're with IndyCar, which saves them a ton of money, like you said. Absolutely. Uh, this from Poet Shevchenko. What are your opinions on the state of the road to Indy? Confirmed entry lists seem pretty strong. Thought it was weird when USF Juniors was announced, but they seem to have gotten a healthy number of teams on board. So I think the thing to keep in mind with this, remember, Road to Indy is now USF Juniors, USF 2000, and Indy Pro 2000 because Indy Lights is now under the IndyCar sanctioning banner. So I think that allowed Anderson Promotions to add the USF Junior Series because it's going to cost a lot less to run than Indy Lights and be another kind of stair step to advance to the road to Indy. Yeah. I mean, I still consider Indy lights part of the quote unquote road to Indy, but it's not under, you know, that operating, you know, with Dan Anderson and everybody. So it's part of it, but it's not part of it. If that kind of makes sense. Yeah. But I think it's going to be strong. I feel, um, you know, I say this every year, I'm, I'm excited to watch Indy lights and I feel, you know, you can look, Auto racing, when you're watching events, you can have the greatest drivers in the world, but if there's only six drivers to start a race, you're going to think it's Mickey Mouse. You're not going to be as engaged as, say, 18, you know, 16 to 18 to 20 cars taking the green flag. It's just not. And so it was very difficult to get into Indy Lights races when you turn them on and there's, you know, eight cars that are starting a race. So, I feel it's going to add not just to uh, to on track and and during the weekends for Indy Lights, but also people potentially tuning in and saying, "Oh, you know, there's there's 18 cars on track. This may this isn't you know just a you know kind of a a bum thrown together type you know league, which we know it's not, but it can definitely give off that vibe when you have such little fields." Yeah, it, we're looking at you know where to find the races. They're all streamed live on Peacock, and you have a field that's double at minimum what it was back when it was like eight or nine full-time cars. So this is significant progress. And look, I get it. We all miss the freedom 100, but I also feel like by them uh, giving that race, the ax, they've been able to add more drivers, add more teams and fill out a a more well-rounded series because of it. Absolutely. You know, Indy lights for a long time, was that, you know, we've all been to local short tracks and everything. It was that, you know, it was the, uh, it was right before the main, you know, I mean, you're, you're there to see the late models and the modifieds, but you know, like, Oh, here comes these, 
these these carts, you know, that, that, you know, there's five of them that are going to race. That's when you're going to the concession stand or, you know, whatever, you know, before the, the main. So it, it very much felt like that, and it still is that in terms of, you know, it's not the big show, but, you know, adding some legitimacy to that field, or to that series with bigger fields uh, can sometimes be the difference between landing and sponsor and not. This from SRT Nick 12. Why can't ECR find another pay driver except daily for the 20 car? It has to be other guys with funding out there, right? I would say no. I, I think they would have already announced something if they had the funding in place. I just don't know if there are drivers with money that want to spend money on a part-time ride. I mean, I know that sounds crazy, but like, when you look at the drivers that have filled in or, you know, split that, that ride with Ed Carpenter, uh, it's a short list on guys that have seen their careers blossom. Isn't it? I mean, on the, the part-time, I mean, I'm trying to think of who they've had. Ed Jones. I mean, he did. I mean, he had a Ganassi seat, but that was before. I mean, it's been Connor it Daly, yeah, Ed Jones. Um, was Jordan King was in there that one year? Jordan King, Mike Conway had success, but I mean, he didn't stay in IndyCar after that. He got a uh, yes. great WEC ride. Yeah, you know Spencer Piggott for a couple years. He was he was in the full time um, car. Well, I think he did. He split it one year. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, he did. I think seven, sixteen or seventeen, seventeen. I thought he always had the, the full-time seat with Ed Carpenter racing. I thought racing. Hildebrand had it opposite, didn't he? Uh, no, Hildebrand was full-time, I think, in 18. Yeah, so Piggott, he, you're right. Piggott he split 18. it. He Piggott split it. 18, if I remember right, in 17. Hildebrand was the year before. Yeah, so Piggott split it in 17 because Piggott was the lights champion, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, no, Piggott also split it in 16 as well, so... And then he was full time. I mean, when you look at it, you know, who has really blossomed after they've left ECR or had enough of an opportunity or, or success to really go elsewhere. I think there's some hesitancy for drivers to take that. And and maybe it's, Hey, we're going to play the long game. I could jump into this, but I'm really not confident in it going anywhere. Um, You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I just feel like maybe there's uh, some drivers that just don't want to spend their capital on that ride. It's great for the Indy 500, but after that, I I think it's debatable what kind of success is is possible. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's obviously a formula that hasn't worked. I think we can all agree on that, except for maybe Ed Carpenter. (laughs) And then this, uh, let's see, a couple other tweets left. Poet Shevchenko with another one. Here's an interesting one. Um, well, it just... Hang on. Okay, just disappeared on me. If IndyCar tries to reduce budgets by reducing on-track testing, the teams have a budget that they will spend on shaker rigs and sim time that no one will ever see. How about going in the opposite direction and encourage on-track testing? Yeah, we. you kind of touched just on that earlier on you know, with, with Marshall Pruitt in the mailbag this week. Spot on, Mr. Shevchenko. I, I agree. You know, teams with money are going to find other ways to spend that money. And then shout out to Bauer Racing for letting us know that you voted for us for Best Motorsports Podcast in the Sports Podcast Awards. Just go to sportspodcastawards.com. You have to register, and then you go through the different categories uh, for the nominations, and please vote for us as the Best Motorsports Podcast uh, once you're done. Okay, that wraps up the mailbag. Shifting to news and notes, and still uh, a few things to get to. We got some some team news uh, outside of of IndyCar with you know teams related to IndyCar drivers who've driven for IndyCar in the past. But first, single day tickets on sale now for the Firestone GP at St. Pete. GPSTPete.com/tickets is the link for that. It's crazy that we're, what, like five weeks away from the season opener? Oh, what are we, five or six? Yeah. It's not that far And then we're going to have to wait a month after that. So we're going to have to really, really stretch that race out (laughs) for this podcast. Just really dissect it for the good part of the next month. That's true. I didn't even think about that. 
Hopefully some Indy 500 driver announcements, you know, around that time as well. Uh, Chip Ganassi Racing announced their uh, IMSA lineup in Rolex 24. So this is for Rolex 24. They'll have Ringer Vanderzan, Sebastian Bourdais, Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow, and then Earl Bamber, I believe, Alex Lynn, Kevin Magnuson, and Marcus Erickson, one of the other cars. And then keeping not it with... Not a bad uh, lineup. No, not at all. Keeping it with... Um, the Rolex 24, Stefan Wilson will make his Rolex 24 debut, compete with Hardpoint uh, GTD, and I'll do uh, the endurance rounds as well. I think there is one other team uh, to get to on the sports car. Oh, Bourdais. He joined uh, Vector Sport for the WEC LMP2 campaign, so good news for him. And then Team Penske officially announced they'll be competing uh, in the WEC championship this year with an LMP2 that for uh, a Porsche. So not a surprise. We knew that was coming, but officially confirmed um, today as we record on Wednesday night. All right. I think with that, that is pretty much all the news and notes. Um, actually, no, a couple other quick things. I jumped the gun. First, uh, Roger Penske's outlined some upgrades to IMS, the next round. Racer.com is the article. I mean, nothing really earth-shattering that's going to stick out to fans. You know, moving ticket booths, some bridges for the golf course. But they're um, taking out the Octagon scoreboard. Yeah, well, which we knew for the BMW driving school thing f- f- for that. But um, Yeah, I, every time I'm at the, the, the Speedway, I'm still surprised that thing was up, so... It hasn't worked in like five years. <laughs> it's, it's been like a while. People are outraged just getting taken down. It's like, come on, people. This is the this is the hill you're going to die on. Yeah, I I don't know why people were trying to die on that hill. And then this is somewhat related. And you know, we talk about that third OEM. Well, this from Car Magazine, which is a verified account. Audi and Porsche set to join F1 in 2026, powering McLaren and Red Bull. That is the rumor there. And then in Formula E, Maserati, back in motorsport, they will join Formula E starting in 2023 to market its electric road cars. Um, They won the 19... Well, they need some influx of new uh, engines in there or suppliers because they've been jumping ship. Well, Mercedes is dropping out after this year, right? And I I feel like there was another team that dropped out. Yeah, there were a couple, yeah. So that that's an update there. So cross Maserati off the list is a third OEM for IndyCar, which again, dang it, I, I don't think they were ever a contender. No, but I think we know where they've been zeroing in, and here we are getting close to mid January here, <laughs> and our very own IndyCar Deep Throat teased that a early January announcement. Well, last week it was changed to a late January, early February announcement. So, All right. Well, hopefully it's not pushed back to a 2023 announcement next update. Yeah, that, that is true. So with that, Justin, uh, it is time for our random split era driver of the week. All right. So we did cart last week. So we're going back to the Indy Racing League for this week's edition. And we're going to go to the Fertile Grounds of the 1996-97 season, and Juan Carlos Carbonell. Who? All right, we're back on track. That's (laughs) what I wanted to hear. Did one single race with Tempero uh, Geoffrey Racing. Of course, that's Bill Tempero, American IndyCar Series. I would love to have Bill Tempero on just to talk IndyCar, American IndyCar Series. But uh, this was his team in 96-97, Juan Carlos Carbonell whose Wikipedia page is the smallest I've ever seen for any of our random split era drivers of the week. Uh, he was born in Chile in Santiago. He began racing in the Chilean Formula 3 championship, did that for five years. Uh, in 1995, moved up to Indy Lights, did a season there, went IMSA in 96. And in late 96, he started a single race in the Indy Racing League at Las Vegas. It was for Tempero Geoffrey Racing, Finished 19th at Vegas in 1996. And in 2010, at 40 years of age, he captured his first Chilean Formula 3 championship title. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to say that's 
I mean, I don't know how good is the formula, uh, the formula three championship in Chile, but it, it is pretty impressive that a 40 year old in for formula three, pretty solid. But in but, Chile, you know, I mean, it's their Chile. Chile right. I mean, I, I don't know if it's a, a hot bed of racing down. It's not Argentina. It's definitely not Brazil or Colombia for that matter. So th- this was the year where it was the weird schedule across two seasons. Two years, yeah. You know, someone who's more of an expert, explain to me why the 96 season was just, what, the three races? Yeah, Walt Disney, Phoenix, and Indy, and then they they did this kind of weird double schedule in 96-97? Like, why didn't they just well, tack on the... The races what happened was like nobody liked the initial plan because it was originally it was supposed to go over those two two years and then nobody liked it because contracts you know they're yearly contracts with drivers and sponsors and all that crap so they basically cut it and say okay we're just going to do one a season of what three races yeah the ninety six was what just they three. did in ninety six and then they were like hey we're going to end it at the five hundred and then realized that really wasn't smart because you're looking at all these uh prime weeks and months to be racing and they weren't. So they came back and say, Hey, we need to get back on track. We can't wait till next March to get back on track. Let's just do a 96, 97. We'll spread the season over two years. We'll go all the way to October of 97. And then that'll be the season. And then we'll get back on track starting in 98. So I really think that was, that was kind of the impetus of it was like, okay, we can't be done at the 500 because it's May. And everybody else is racing. So they had to rectify it by doing that two-year thing, 96, 97. It's just it, very bizarre to me. I was a little too young at the time to really understand what was going on. I mean, I didn't even know there was a split. Um, <laughs> I was like, oh, cart, cool. IRL, cool. I watched both. I, I was too dumb and young to, to understand what was going on, but it's just such a weird look at the schedule where they run August, September, Gap, then January, Gap, March, Gap, May, and then June, and a couple races in June, one race in July, one in August, one in October. And it's just amazing that, uh, I mean, and, and maybe this is in, uh, I got the split book uh, for Christmas, I haven't started reading it yet, but like, what was the original plan for the split? So, you know, they, they split off, Tony George does all this, and then what? They they were anticipating having a three race season. What I mean, I don't believe that. Did they think more tracks would flock their way when they had the Indy Five Hundred, and then realize they didn't? I'd be fascinated to know the inner workings of the Brain Trust breaking away from Cart or the IndyCar World Series and starting a league that had three races in its first year. I'll be honest, I've read the book. I, I couldn't tell you exactly how that went down. Um, it's been a few months. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of what happened. You know, three races, and they're like, oh, crap, we can't wait from this May to next March before we have races. So, hey, let's start the next season in August. And that's what they did. Yeah. Well. And uh, our uh, random split error driver of the week this week was an integral part of that, at least for one race. I think I, uh, I'm eyeing this, and I'm seeing a few other like Vincenzo Sospiri, he's probably a future splitter driver of the week. Just just a wild guess. I don't oh, think we've covered like him. I said, that 96-97 team <laughs> is a fertile ground for random splitter drivers of the week. David Kudrave, I think uh, he's a contender. Um, but yeah, with that, interesting stuff. And I guess I learned more about that weird 96-97 season than I ever knew before. So here we are. Yes, what a time to be alive back then. And and good thing we were so naive at that age to not realize the cluster that was open wheel <laughs> racing yeah. in America. Yes, I hashtag blessed on that one for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Most definitely. All right, we have uh, one tweet of the week. So, Justin, I'm not sure if you saw the news, but uh, the PGA Tour will have a docuseries coming out on Netflix. Yes. It'll include golfers such as Brooks Kepka, Jordan Spieth, and it also is going to be produced by the, the people who actually do drive to survive for F1. So is any 500 today on Twitter? I replied to Nathan Brown talking about this, this news. 
Will it be called Drive to Survive also? <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, I, I am going to go out on a limb and say I will not watch that. Yeah, I probably will neither. I'm, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, if anything off the green can be any more boring than actual golf. And I know I'm probably in the minority for people that are listening. I, I just, I, I can't get into it. I, I can't. I haven't been invited numerous times to play. People always ask me if I watch the Masters or this or that. I, I, it's, I don't have it in me. I watch the Masters usually, and I may watch some of some of the other majors. I play golf every couple years, like around for some work event, and I'm terrible, but I do enjoy it because I'm terrible, so there's no pressure to be any good, but that's about the extent of my golf uh, golfing skills there. Yeah, maybe we maybe we're in the minority out there, but uh, this is not going to be high on my uh, Netflix to watch list. No, no, probably not. All right. Well, with that, we will be back next week, hopefully on our regularly uh, scheduled day, and hopefully, you know, you think we get an announcement regarding that third Ed Carpenter Racing seat. Just saying, we're we're patiently waiting an announcement there. So hopefully, we'll get that. Plus. We'll be uh, another week closer to hopefully a third OEM announcement and another week closer to the start of the season. Well, for Justin Kinney, I am Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. Podcasts by Federated Media.